Today, we talk about all things commercial fashion photography on Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. With today's episode, as with every episode, if you go to the website behindtheshot.tv, you can find the show notes for today. And with each episode, I actually write a little something about the uh, the guests that I have on the show. You can see a small gallery of their type of work, and you can find all of their social media links. So if you want to reach out to any of my guests, feel free to head to the website, behindtheshot.tv. While you're there, you can find all the different ways that you can subscribe to the show. So please do subscribe, drop me a review, whatever you can do. And I want to jump right into today's guest because I met this young lady at WPPI. And if you watched my WPPI recap episode, you will know her from that, but you probably already know her. She is my most requested guest. <laughs> Lindsay Adler, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. And a good start to boost up my ego. <laughs> it's it, Well, we did talk at WPPI, and I think I told you there, uh, I own some of your classes. We'll get into that in just a second. But I get periodically an email, somebody filling out the contact form or reaching out to me on social media saying, oh, oh, you should really get this guest on. In fact, you did it before we started. You gave me two people that I need to get on. You are hands down the one person more people come to me and say, man, I wish you'd get Lindsay Adler on the show. And finally, you are here. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, you are uh, New York based, correct? Yes, I am. I, uh, I've been in New York for about, I think about 12 years now. I started in upstate New York, but now I'm a, a city girl, except for right now because of everything that's happening about an hour yeah. outside the city. Okay. So, oh, so you do normally live in the city? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I bought my apartment, which was a big life milestone about two and a half years ago. So here's my question for you. Yes. Where, okay, so you moved to New York about 12 years ago. Where are you originally from? So I am from a small town in upstate New York called Owego, New York. Uh, it's kind of near Binghamton. Some people know Binghamton because of the university. Uh, depending on what you're measuring, it's about size between five and 10,000 people uh, in the actual like town I grew up in. All right, so I describe you usually as a, a fashion commercial fashion photographer. Mm -hmm. But when you look through your website, you are so much more than that. Oh, thanks. When, and, and granted, labels kind of in this area mean very little, right? I mean, I know music photographers that take amazing landscape shots, but they call themselves a music photographer. Sure. How do you describe what you do? Sure. So I am a fashion and portrait photographer with a clean, bold graphic style, and I portray women with strength and elegance. That is my elevator pitch. Oh, man. The <laughs> last part of that I like, right? Thank you. Because the viewers don't know this yet, but today's shot suddenly just took on kind of a whole new meaning to me. Yeah. I mean, I think today's shot fits everything I just said to a T. And, and that, but that, yeah. you know, and this comes to style. Uh, when you have a style, which is the unique lens through which you see the world, your unique vision, it's, it's fundamentally the threads that weave together your work. Uh, when you have a style, it actually makes it easier to come up with your approach to a shoot because it's not, okay, there's 8 billion ways to shoot this. Which of these billion ways it's, well, how would I shoot this in my unique, uh, my unique, unique form and fashion? And so it, it actually, I think, 
uh, not only makes it easier for clients because they know what to expect, but it makes it easier for me because I know what people expect of me. You you found your voice. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons, I, I don't know if this happens to you. I'm actually curious. I have people all the time where someone will ask them online, what was your exposure? And, and their attitude is, I'm not going to tell you that because then you'll just copy it and that's not how you learn. And I'm like, you don't have a copyright on your F-stop. That's just, so funny. The, the two people... When I'm in a photo pit at a concert, if I'm standing right next to another photographer, even if I set the settings to the exact same settings, the two of us will not take the exact same shot because we have a different voice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I also think that one of my approaches is I share as much as possible because I think when I share all my secrets, I have to go find new secrets. And so it pushes me and it drives me. Uh, but I also think that's the world we're in today. We, I mean, sharing is just part of... I mean, not only is it rewarding, but it's part of good business, I think. I, I completely agree with you. My buddy Don Komarechka, who I do some stuff with, I asked him one time because he posted, somebody commented on one of the episodes I did with him on one of his macro shots. And he answered the guy on YouTube with a link to his raw files. And I'm like, really? He goes, look, I can give out anything people want. They're not going to catch me. I'm already ahead. And it mm -hmm. forces me to redevelop myself. You're... As I look through your website, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but I want to touch on this a little bit. Your work and your images are so creative, they're difficult to describe at times. I'm kind of curious from your mind point of view. Mm -hmm. when, when you're creating, let's not talk about the standard commercial stuff, right? The standard fashion shoot. Mm -hmm. you, I think you're going to know what I mean with some of your shots, like the black and white ones and stuff. Some of your shots are radically creative. Do you tend to pre-visualize those or are some of those just, okay, I've got the safe shot. I can now play. I think it depends on the image. So in some instances, uh, what I do is the safe shot, exactly what you're saying. I, I make sure the model would be happy, the hair and makeup artist. Like everybody's got an image that they would be, uh, we'll put it this way, not ashamed to put on social. <laughs> it might be that's not pro like profound, but everyone's happy. Uh, and then I will try something new. And you know what? I would put it at about 60% of the time when I dig deeper and, and just kind of go crazy and try something. About 60% of the time it works. 40% of the time I go, nope, the original was better. Like it's it's not like every time right. I, I dive into my creative mind that it works out, it doesn't. Um, but the other part of it is that I I loosely pre-visualize things. What, one of the things I, I encourage people to do is the more interesting things you put in front of your camera, the more there is to be inspired by. So what I'll do is I will uh, work with a, a headpiece designer and tell her, okay, in my vision, there's this really graphic shape coming out from the head. And then she, I don't exactly know how I'm going to shoot it. I, I'm going to be inspired by whatever she produces. Then I see it on the model and then my brain goes, okay, so all right, the best way to showcase right. the model, this headpiece, you know, so I'm doing visual problem solving, which often helps me create something more unique. And and allowing the moment and the environment to color the creative process, which I think is actually key. You have been published in the top outlets that there are, Elle, Marie Claire, Harper's Bazaar. When you, when you are doing shoots for places like that. I'm guessing there's an art director often that's that's on set with you. Does that change when you have, as opposed to you going out and shooting it and having full reign, 
when you have, when you're tethered and you've got a client or an art mm -hmm. director watching the screen, are you at the point now that that doesn't affect how you shoot or does that still color it? It certainly affects how I shoot uh, because I'm not creating at that point simply for the joy of it and the exploration. I'm helping, like my job is visual problem solver. They have a certain goal in mind. They have something they want to achieve and they're helping direct me to what they're thinking is most successful to do that. It's definitely a collaboration. Um, when it's when it's an editorial for a magazine, a lot of times it's pretty loose because I'll look at the publication and I'll go, okay, I know what their style is. They're a little bit more polished. Uh, they're a little more colorful. Like there's different magazines have a different aesthetic, obviously. Um, and so I know my style within that aesthetic. Once I know the theme, uh, for example, to quote Devil's Wear, Devil Wears Prada, you know, florals for spring, groundbreaking. Like if that's right. the theme, I know the theme and I can work within my style and the magazine style and the theme. And I don't need um, that much art direction feedback. And most of the time, unless it's a cover shoot, there's not an art director there. Um, it, now, really? The, oh. Yeah. The biggest, now the biggest publications, if you were shooting for, um, you know, the, celebrity, a celebrity inside shoot for Harper's Bazaar, there would be. Um, but if I'm shooting a close-up makeup editorial and it's an inside and it's showing, you know, different colors of lips, they're, they're not there. They've already looked at mood boards. They already know the direction. They know my style. And then it, you know, they, they know what to expect. Uh, but when it comes to commercial shoots, they're uh, breathing down your neck. If you don't have a second screen, right. they'll be on your shoulder. So you're always having that second screen, maybe 10 feet away so that you're not like, right. right on top uh, of Tether tools. Can you make a hundred foot cable for me? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Exactly. So you are a Canon Explorer of light. Mm -hmm. I've had a number of Canon Explorers of light on this program and it never ceases to amaze me the talent that Canon gets in that program, but you've worked with not only Canon, you've worked with Adobe, you've worked with A&E, NBC, Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Your education background, though, speaker, educator, is kind of where I think you excel, though. So at WPPI, I took some B-roll footage of my WPPI recap episode of you on stage. <clears throat> and it was even, I think I even mentioned it when we were doing the interview with you at WPPI. There's something about you, your energy, that I want to use the word infectious is what's popping into my head, <laughs> but a better way to describe it is absorbable. Your, your energy creates an environment where learning is absorbable. You have taught for Kelby One. Uh, I mentioned WPPI. There's other conferences as well. You've spoken and taught thousands of people at different conferences. But I want to touch on Creative Live because to me, you're one of the best posing instructors that's out today. And oh, I actually you. own three of your Creative Live classes. I own Posing 101 Essentials, uh, Lighting, I, I even looked them up, Lighting and Posing Large Groups, and Conquering Ant Light, uh, <laughs> Crappy Light, with, which is with Eric. Mm -hmm. Do you, I, I guess I should also mention you're an author too. You've got five different books, including... Uh, Creative 52, which is an interesting one. Weekly projects to invigorate your photography portfolio. Give me the helicopter view on that book. Uh, so the idea behind this is at one point in my career, I had an editor of a magazine. When I 
really when I first started, look at my portfolio. And he said, listen, I can tell you've got decent grasp of technique, but the second you leave, I'm going to forget you because there's no style. There's no unique voice. And so basically this is a waste of time. And I was crushed to say the least. Like it wow. was, uh, it was awful. Um, but just because someone is mean and horrible doesn't mean they're wrong. <laughs> like, so I took it to heart and I, I spent a year where I would shoot once a week, uh, creative shoots to build my portfolio. And that's how I found my style. That's how I found my voice. That's how I, I built my book. And that really marks an important turning point in what I, in my career, not just, you know, success wise, but also as an artist. So I put together this book to try to try to do the same thing for other people, give them an idea of some assignments or way to approach things so that maybe they can discover their own voice or they'll discover techniques that they can integrate into the style they already have. I love this happened also at WPPI. You say lines periodically. You, you made the comment at WPPI that good lighting is delicious. Mm-hmm. And the line you just said is just because somebody's mean and rude doesn't mean that they're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that's key. Right. All of you people who get, you know, you're so used to the social media critique of totally Great shot. wonderful. Nice yeah, shot. Love it. Wonderful. Yeah. Heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if somebody, one person comes in and goes, you know, dude, this is nice, but you might want to burn this area down. Well, I like it. Just because you don't agree with what they say or don't want to hear it doesn't make it wrong. You have a book shooting in sh- eat light. I'm abbreviating there. People can fill in the blank. Um, and then the photographer's guide to posing techniques mm-hmm. to flatter everyone. And I want to stress to people, if you're looking to up your posing game, if you're looking to up any game, right. But if you're looking to up your posing game, go look up Lindsay's posing classes, because again, her, her, uh, her demeanor, her smile, her laugh makes absorbing the material really, really easy. And I'm not just saying, I tell people this when you're not here. I'm not just blowing air here. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh. um, it's something I firmly believe. So let's get into some questions here. Sure. I have seen, and I can't remember where, but I know that I've seen multiple places phrasing something about your ability to collaborate. Mm-hmm collaboration and some of the behind the scenes shots that we're going to show from today kind of show that it's such an important skill. Can that be taught or is it purely a natural skill set? That is a really good question. And I think that the word taught, you have to say loosely uh, because I think it's something that's developed. uh, And I think a lot of photographers are used to being, you know, one person shows, you know, we rely on our, rely on ourselves for everything, especially because margins are so thin it's when you're first starting your business, you don't feel like you have money to invest in anyone else to help you do your job, whether that's a creative or whether that's running your business. But I found that my great, my biggest growth really has been because I work with other people that are good at what they do, love what they do. And so they exceed at it. And they make me look better. So when it comes to collaboration, um, I think that you have to realize that not just anyone will be a good fit. Uh, and you got to kiss a lot of frogs to, to find the prince or, you know, the right makeup artist, I suppose you'd say. Um, because just because you don't know makeup, for example, um, 
and they do doesn't mean they're good at it or doesn't mean it's a good fit. Um, and so eventually right. you're well, and, and to interrupt, I apologize, yeah. but makeup artists have their own voice too. For sure. Yeah. Right? And, and hair so two voices and in a conversation stylist. can be great. Two voices in a conversation can be a nightmare if they're the wrong voices. Oh, a thousand percent. And I think in the end, when you find your team, the people that really excel 90% of the time, it's because they've surrounded themselves with fantastic people. There's the little, the small percentage that are just insanely talented and somehow they do everything themselves. But 90% of the time, it's because they found a supportive team, both emotionally and creatively. So what helps me is often on my shoots, I do these creative shoot days and uh, it's just meant for building portfolio, experimenting, learning. And let's say I do six looks in a day. The first three looks of the day. Uh, wow. I, that's a lot. Oh, I usually do more, but that's, it's from experience, like lots and lots of practice and okay, we're just right, cranking right, right. it out. Um, but usually that the first three looks, uh, I directed I said, this is the type of shot I want. I put it together. This is the, the lighting. This is what I want for you for makeup. And then the last three, I say to the hairstylist or the makeup artist or the wardrobe, give me something, anything. What is it you've wanted to do? What do you think your book is missing? What's inspired you? What have you been itching to create recently? And a lot of times, those are the ones that excite me even more because it ends up in front of me on set and my brain is just racing. Like, how can I bring out the best in my style, their style, tell this story? And so I don't feel like I have to be the one constantly coming up with all the ideas. These other people are feeding right. me ideas, which it, I mean, it's, it is uh, not just delicious lighting, but it's deliciousness in front of the camera that I just feed off of. Uh, and that's why I'm so excited for shoot days because I, I'm not over-managing it. So sometimes I don't know what to expect and I'm pleasantly surprised. And then sometimes they suck. <laughs> like it's also okay. There's nothing on the line on those shoot days. And and for those that don't know, you have harsh light, soft light, delicious light in that order. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> clearly you're a Canon shooter. You yeah. shoot an EOS R. When you're shooting, and, and I, I'll probably touch on this when we get to the photo we're going to discuss here in a second, but- and I promise everybody the photo is coming up and it's delicious, but I, there's some things I want to know. What goes into your picking for this type of photography, your lens, and is your lens choice different if you're doing a straight fashion shot like inside magazine versus a real serious commercial shot? Do, do you vary your lens choice and how do you choose the lens? I tend to have... Well, first of all, I have everything because I'm one of those nerds that like, what happens if I need this one thing once? Uh, but I tend to have three lenses that I use over and over again, maybe four that I'll extend it to. Um, and what it comes down to is, do I need flexibility or do I need sharpness, like insane narrow depth of field, sharp image, background that disappears? Like those are the things that I'm trying to balance. So it's more, how does the tool help me achieve the visual look that I need? Um, I would say most often I have a 24 to 105 on my camera, uh, because I am very physically, yes, F4, exactly. Uh, because I'm very physically active when I shoot, I'm laying on the ground I'm over here. I'm going, I want that wide angle. Oh wait, oh wait, that no, no, no. I want, I want to zoom back. I want to compress them on the background. So it's not that I'm frantic, like I sound frantic right now, uh, but when I'm shooting, I'm exploring and I'm discovering. And I find that often when I have a fixed focal length lens, I 
I'm not exploring quite as much. That's just me personally. Whereas other people might say, oh, the fixed focal length lens, I have to explore more because I can't vary that one element. Um, so I get it. So 24 to 105 is probably most common. Um, when I am going for delicious narrow depth of field, uh, then I go for uh, an 85-1-2, uh, 85-1-4, just like melt away the background, just like if I want to see every single lash and then by the ear, it's completely out of focus. I'm grabbing that 85. And then the other one that I use very often in my work is a 180 millimeter macro. Um, I use the 180 for all my tight shots. Um, I do a lot of close-ups of the lips Lipstick and the on eyes. The lips, exactly. And I choose 180 because the focal length gives me a little bit more working distance. I'm not working with a flower. I'm working with a person and I don't want to be on top of them when I'm shooting. Interesting. And the the 24 to 105 to me is such a wonderful range. I used the the EF 24 to 105 my first number of years in concert photography, even though it was F4. I I had one body. I didn't have to change lenses in mm -hmm. a photo pit. I, I love that lens. Before we bring up the shot, one last question. Yeah. For for those people out there that want to try it or already shoot it and want to improve their game in, in fashion, what makes a delicious fascist fashion image. <laughs> uh, man. So I think a delicious fashion image is one that feels like it has a purpose. It has a story and it has a point of view. So for me, when I look at an image I've created that feels delicious, you know, when you look at that image, what the photographer, what the author was trying to communicate. Who is the character? So is is the woman uh, meant to be demure, quiet, romantic? Is it strong? Is it aggressive? And then the lighting works with that. The styling works with that. The post-processing, everything comes together. So when it's really delicious, it's all of these different things that you consider just bam, they hit together and it's just impact. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I just <laughs> love it. I'm dying to bring up this shot. So let's do so. Uh, this was, if I'm not mistaken, before I bring it up, the, the shot I'm going to pull up here in a second mm -hmm. was shot for a Canon EOS R campaign when it was first announced, correct? That is correct. Okay. So I'm going to bring up this shot and I want to try and describe it as I always do. But if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, go to the website behindtheshot.tv. You can see it there. Or you can watch the video. You can get the video either in a podcast app. If your podcast app supports video, subscribe to that feed and the audio feed if you want to. Or go to the YouTube channel for Behind the Shot. So we are clearly on a New York City rooftop. It's a photo shoot. And what's interesting is the way that Lindsay has structured this it's clearly a rooftop photo shoot, right? I mean, it's not like she's trying to hide that it's a photo shoot. There's props. We'll get into that in a second here. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's buildings in the background. There's actually a piece of the river that you can see in the background. Sky is wonderfully stormy and cloudy like most people I know would shoot on a sunny day and replace this. But no, this is clearly real. The model is in a red dress, which is spot on perfect because the red dress contrasts against all this gray, right? And the props, by the way, contrast against the props. She's got a train on her dress and a scarf, both blowing exactly horizontally away from her from she's centered. They're blowing frame right. The props 
see if I can get all of these. There's a ladder that she's holding in this gorgeous gown. The, the contrast there is awesome. There's two large cinema lights. They're not lighting her, right? They're being used as props. And the scarf and train actually even cross one of those lights. Did I miss anything? Uh, no. I, that sounds right to me. I, I think I got most of it. You like one of the lights is on a C stand. One of them is on a like more of a cinema type tripod. You know, I um, think that's all right. Where the lights are is kind of oh, it's just awesome. So this was an EOS R. What lens would this have been? So for this shoe, I believe I was using the well. Okay, so I was changing lenses, but uh, I believe I was using a twenty-four to seventy uh, for a lot of these shots. And the reason that I was aiming for that is that if I needed to pop open to a wider lens, but I, for the shoot was switching between an 85, um, the, or not the 24 to 70, it's the, the 28 to 70 2.0. Right. The, for the, the R the, version, right. The R okay. version. It was the massive, it's, it's huge, but it's 28 to 70 2.0. Like I've never even heard of that being possible. And then the 24 to 105. So this particular image I'm looking at was a 24 to 105, actually. Um, now, what was the, the exposure? Let's Do you know? see. I, like, I didn't. I, okay, so I can tell you most of the time what I'm doing. Uh, and I actually, when people ask me exposure, and don't be offended, this is not for you. Okay. No, most no. of the time when people ask me exposure, um, although I can guess and tell you, usually if exposure is the question they leave lead with, I know they're beginning in photography because exposure is not something you can go apply to your own. Like what situation are you going to be right. in where you're on top of this building and you have studio strobes as well as, so uh, chances are usually what I, I start with is I start with, like this would have been my my mental approach. I would have started with one two hundredth of a second, um, probably F4, like wide open, and then ISO 200. Okay, so that would have been my starting spot. So that's, that's your, that's your, when you walk into a scene and you're, you don't know yet. Your camera's kind of set to that. Because in this case, for this shot, that's where I would have started because here's what I would have thought. Okay, so 4.0, I know that I want to let in uh, some light from the background. I know that my actual studio strobes are going to be pretty far away from my subject. So I want to shoot a wider aperture because that's going to let more light in. And so I don't have to put as much demand on those strobes. Um, one two hundredth of a second. Where that starts me with is it helps me cut out ambient light, and then I can decide from there if I need to drag a little bit. But also, I know at one two hundredth of a second, I can handhold and get it sharp. And I told you I move around a lot, so I don't I don't like to go much slower than one one twenty fifth of a second uh, unless I have an image stabilized lens that I'm I'm shooting with because I just want to make sure it's sharp. Okay, and then. Uh, my ISO, usually it's going to be somewhere around 200 in this scene. How I would have approached it is I would have gone, okay, no strobes yet. Let me take a look at this. And granted you can, you can certainly meter things, but this would have been my approach is I'm looking at this and I would have gone, okay, so at one 200th of a second F4 ISO 200, what's this environment looking like? Okay. Taking a look at it. Uh, it's probably looking a little dark. Would you have had her standing there when you did those first shots or not? I would have had a stand in. Um, so I would have had an okay. assistant just standing in there because the dress isn't comfortable. The pose isn't comfortable. The wind isn't comfortable. And I don't, I want her to look gotcha. her best yeah, yeah. when it happens. So would have taken that first shot, no strobe. 
and just to see how the background's looking. Like, is this is this fitting the mood that I want? Chances are at one two hundredth of a second, uh, f four uh, ISO two hundred, it's going to be too dark with that scene. So my next approach would have been, well, I'm not going to open up my aperture wider. It's already four zero. I'm on a right. twenty four one zero five. So let's drop. Uh, let's uh, take our ISO, and I'm going to bump it up instead of two hundred to go to four hundred. If I need to go higher, maybe I go to eight hundred. Uh, you have to decide with your camera what you're comfortable with for your ISO. So for me, I know that right. I'm happy up to 800. No, I mean, no problem. Uh, and then if I needed to drag my shutter a little from 1 200th of a second, I'd go down to 1 25th, but that's about it. And then knowing those settings, once I figured out my ISO and my aperture, I would take a meter and you put that into your light meter so I can put in, okay, I'm at ISO 800. F4, you take uh, a reading of the strobe and you make it match. So you make it. So when it gives you that reading back, it's going to give me that F4 um, reading from the actual strobe light that I'm using. So uh, basically, it's it's a two-shot process in a sense in that you, you have set up a shot of the environment, of the background, mm -hmm. and then using your strobe and your meter, you're going to match effectively what is a second shot of the model together. Yeah. Uh, and in my defense, the reason that I asked for the exposure info is no, because a lot of people watching want to know. So no, I know. I, I always start with Tector. So but I, I, I thought what was more valuable than the actual settings would be the thought process behind achieving the appropriate and, settings and you for are the correct. scene. 100% correct. So that wasn't a and hate actually, on you question. <laughs> no, it, and it can be. I'm good with that too. No. Um, no, I, I love that. And, and, you know, people that are learning lighting, artificial lighting, often will hear, set up your background and figure out what your ambient light shot is first, and then add fill light or accent light or mood light as, as desired. And you described that perfectly. But even with all that in mind, mm -hmm. this doesn't look like a friendly environment with the clouds. I mean, those clouds literally look those are rain clouds. Yeah, for tell, sure. tell me what it was like being in this shoot. Okay. So this was actually super intense and kind of awesome and makes for a good story. So you're in luck. Uh, so I, I picked this location because I wanted something uh, dramatic. I wanted to shoot in New York. So it had a bit of me and my flair in it, which is also why I chose a red dress. You know, I was trying to put my style into it. So we find this location um, and the top level, it's 22 stories up. So it's 22 stories on top of this building. Oh, wow. And uh, there's no railing. There's no border. Like you could, you could walk off and just go 22 stories down. Uh, but to get to this top level, the only way to get to it is you take an elevator up, but then you have to climb another set of stairs. So all of those, that gear, my assistants and I had to move upstairs. Like, like I'm talking like a straight oh, up ladder, my. not a stairway, like a ladder. Uh, so we had to like rig the system to get it up there. Like fire escape type. Like ladder. fire escape. Exactly. So we get up to the top here. I set it up and we see clouds in the distance for when I was first setting it up. Um, but it's okay. It adds a little bit of texture to the sky. And because this was a relatively, it does, yeah. yeah, and it was cool. And because this was a relatively big shoot, I did have uh, someone whose job was producer. So basically what that means is on the shoot, they're helping everything run smoothly. They're just making sure if there's something I need or moving gear around, like I, I tell them my needs and they help make it happen, which just so you know, that's only on bigger shoots. 
my normal shoot, I'm the producer too. So anyway, the producer goes to me, Hey Lindsay, we're just, we're just going to watch these clouds. Um, again, if it's raining and you've got all this gear and it gets windy, we, you know, we're on a 22 story, uh, rooftop. Like we got to be careful. So I'm watching it, I'm shooting it. And like, because hair and makeup takes a while and everything, I had had the model maybe for, I don't know, 15 minutes that I was shooting. And granted, it was 15 minutes once I got it set, but then there were tweaks because originally she didn't have that red sash. Um, that red sash, oh. thankfully, we were in the fabric district. I actually sent somebody downstairs to go buy fabric uh, at one of the fabric stores to bring it up because I didn't think there was enough drama and movement in it. Uh, so I had her for 15 minutes and then we feel little raindrops. And I'm like, a little rain's oh, not going to hurt anything. It, it's fine. Just like a little bit of rain. And he's, he's watching. And then all of a sudden it starts gusting wind and you see those massive lights start waving and their feet from something. And then she's on a ladder and I'm like, oh no, this is great. Look at, look at the fabric moving. Cause it's blowing in the wind and that looked great. And, and then the, the clouds come in behind her. I'm like, this is perfect. It's so dramatic and beautiful. And of course, as this happening, I'm constantly adjusting my exposure because the light is changing in the background. So I'm trying to adapt it to get look, you know, get how I want it to be. Right. Um, long story short, uh, it starts raining harder. So we have to take all that gear and rush it down those stairs again. Some of it they cover in tarps just in case, like, we can actually start shooting again. And, uh, no, it started to pour, and so that was that shot. <laughs> so, Oh, that all, was it? That was it. So all of this preparation, all of this lead up and the shot, I had 20-ish minutes. So we finished the shot later on, but it was dark. Like, it was pitch black, so there's none of that sky and none of the skyline and all that detail. So later on – to get a little bit of the twinkle of the buildings in the background, I had to really, you know, I grabbed a different lens. I grabbed uh, the the 85 so I could shoot wide open with that. I used a high ISO so you could see something. Otherwise, it was just pitch blackness. And then why are the heck are we on top of a building in New York City? Wow. Okay. See, but this is what makes a pro, right? Is the, the, the on-the-spot problem solving of I'm going to get this shot no matter what. I, I'm... First one to say, in that environment, I would have probably choked <laughs> because no, I would have saw fine. the rain coming in and gone, ah, guy, I'm a... but you nailed this. There's a couple things I want to talk about. First of all, the lighting. Sure. So what strobe would you have used for this? Sure. Or strobes? I, I was using two strobes. I was using a uh, pro photo. Uh, I, it depends on the scene. I know exactly what I was using here. Uh, I was using the pro photo B1s. Um, however, now I, it might've been a different choice cause there's new technology since then. Uh, but I was using the B ones there 500 watt seconds. I had a beauty dish on her face. And the idea behind that was that I would create more of a, a pocket of illumination around her torso and her face. And it's just out of the frame as close as I could get it to the left. And then back closer to me, but a little bit further to the left as well was a large octobox. It was a five foot octobox. Um, and that was meant for fill. Because if you can kind of see, if you look at the shot, there's contrasty light uh, from the top of the, the uh, ladder, her face, and then just about to her knees. And then you see the rest right. of the light looks a little bit more dim. Well, if I didn't have that fill light, that second light, the light on the bottom of the dress and the end of the fabric and the bottom of the ladder, it would have been pure black with no detail, which means there's no sense of depth. But, he, but here's the thing. 
First of all, you set up a five foot octobox in basically what was about to be a storm. I know, I know. Love that. <laughs> love, no, I love that, right? But here's the other thing that you did. I mentioned that there were these two cinema lights on there as props. Yes. They're clearly, one of them is behind her, covered by her scarf. Uh-huh. The other one is clearly not technically pointing at her. It's more pointing towards where the softbox would have been. It's far frame left pointing to the right. But because the ladder doesn't intersect it, there is almost this feeling that the light on the top of the ladder and the light on the top of her bodice area and face are almost coming from that light. There's this weird kind of three-dimensional effect where that light does mimic kind of a widespread of the cinema lights. When you're using the cinema lights like that, Mm -hmm. does that change? Because they're on, they're a bright light, and I will add, they are not clipped, So, uh, which I love. Thank you. So in those lights, they're not actually on. It's a trick. Uh, it's not Photoshop. Uh, what's in them is I put the uh, the the uh, Canon 600 uh, EXRT lights. I put the those are flashes. Lights. Those are flashes because I was shooting at a higher ISO and because <laughs> I was shooting at a wider aperture. I put the two flashes, the two speed lights, uh, in, one in each of those lights, and then I put a CTO on those so that it would be warm. Uh, Because I was trying to contrast the color of the background. And then what we did is I had an assistant just out of frame with something that's called haze in a can or atmosphere in a can. So they would spray it right when I said, okay, I'm ready. This is the shot. They would spray it. But keep in mind, I'm not kidding. Like this whole thing, I think in total, we had 20 minutes. So basically it was get the light, get the composition, get the exposure, get the composition. Okay. Now everybody on this shot, we're going to get the fabric and we're going to get the spray and you know, like it was trying to get everything to come together at once. But the the brilliance of putting a speed light inside the cinema light gelled to get mm-hmm. not only the color you want, but the amount of light that you want and have remote control of them is just amazing to me. Let me go through some of these behind the scene shots. Sure. So the, the first behind the scene shot, she's actually on the ladder. Mm-hmm. She's still blocking one of the lights, but the other cinema light is off to the right and it's way high top edge of the frame. Kind of gives you an idea and and totally different lighting from the left. The light is higher on the ladder. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see how this thing is, is morphing and changing, developing. The second one is the same one with a slightly different exposure and the scarf fluttering above the black the the backlight what i like about that one actually so that you know mm-hmm. is the way her train and her scarf kind of frame that backlight i agree i, I like kind of dig is, that yeah totally there's almost a bright spot in the clouds there too which kind of gives you the feeling almost like the lights lighting Parting. the cloud yeah I, yeah kind of neat the next one you can clearly see the fog in a can yep Right. Which it shockingly works really well. Well, shocking too, because it was so windy. So it was getting blown away instantly. So like it was, a you had to just start clicking as soon as they sprayed it to catch it. But it worked on that one. What's interesting here is on these, these three behind the shots I've done so far, the two studio lights are frame right and she's frame left. Clearly in the chosen shot, 
the lights are on opposite sides. What is your thought process before, you know what, let's get into that in a minute. Let me pull up the other behind the scenes. Here's a vertical one. And the vertical one, her uh, scarf is actually blowing across the ladder, which is kind of an interesting texture idea. And last but not least, I wanted to end with the rooftop shot. Mm -hmm. So this is from a different rooftop. Uh, clearly exposed to show it as though it's daylight where you can see it. So in this shot, you can see the beauty dish yeah. to the right of the ladder in this scene, to the left of the ladder in the chosen shot. You can see the softbox. You can see the, the size of the crew. Yeah, huge crew. That's a lot of people. Yeah, and so I don't want people to think that uh, shoots always need to be that big. Uh, well, for example, so uh, this was actually a campaign. So Cannon was there. Um, but because there, there were some people that were excited to be there, they sent three just because they wanted to hang out and watch the shoot. Um, then on Canon actually hired an ad agency to hire me because it wasn't just about them hiring me. It was about uh, where the image is going to be used, layout, uh, the graphic design of it, all, all that kind of thing. So then there were three people from client side. So that's six people that have nothing to do with my team. And then for safety, uh, for production, because we we're on a rooftop and it, because, you know, it could be weather, we had uh, three people on production. So basically the, the producer and then he had two assistants. Uh, and then you get to my core team, which was hair, makeup, uh, wardrobe, model. And then there was a behind the scenes photographer and someone shooting video. So I don't know. I, I lost count, but that was like 18 people, like 16, But it got the people. it got the job done is the key. There is there is something I'm wondering. Mm -hmm. because as, again, as I look at this shot, this has everything you want in almost any kind of a photograph that's environmental. So effectively, it's an environmental portrait. You've got a foreground object, which is mm -hmm. that light. You've got a mid-ground subject, which is the ladder, the, the light, and the model. And you have a background subject. I mean, from a composition point of view, so well laid out. But the early behind-the-scenes shots showed both lights to the right. Mm -hmm. Whereas the final shot, which I dig, I like it like this myself. The The one light was moved to the left. What goes through Lindsay's head that says we need to move the light? Well, originally when I was looking at the other shots, the balance didn't seem right to me. Um, I had the subject on the left and then I felt like, you know, the two bright hot spots of the lights were pulling me to the right constantly looking in the wrong direction. And in the end, I felt as though the final position, those two lights were pointing at her. They were telling you where to look. Um, you know, the reason I was struggling with it is originally before we got to the point of having, uh, having to leave, I was having her stand on the ladder. Um, and when it got so windy, she needed to stand on the ground. So that's actually why you see in the final shot, she's not up on the ladder. My original vision was having her on the ladder. Um, so one of the things I was struggling with oh. in balancing was I didn't want her to look diminished in the frame because I knew that, you know, if she were higher in the ladder, uh, then she would always, you know, be elevated. And I feel like your eye would be drawn up with the strong lines of the ladder. Uh, but as soon as she's on the, the floor, I wanted to make sure there was something telling you this is the most important part of the frame. And it's not an ad for these old lights. It's an ad for a camera, but also really just for the idea of a production. Like that's what I was trying to communicate is this is a photo shoot to create wow images, not an ad for these lights. So well, that's why I ended and the up fact with those that angles. She's, the fact that she's almost wrapped around the ladder 
right? One leg comes in front or hand is behind the first rung of the ladder, adds this, you know, it takes a two-dimensional media and turns it into three-dimensional. Whose idea was the lights? The, meaning the prop lights. Oh, so I have a great Because it's interesting to use lights like that as a prop instead of as a light fixture. So it was 50% my idea because I stole it from my boyfriend. <laughs> uh, my boyfriend is Chris Knight. He's a uh, portrait photographer and he uses these all the time. And I always like the sense of timelessness that they imbue in an image because they are old fashioned. So it, it makes it seem like, you know, when was this taken? Now, clearly it's modern, but there are elements that it could actually be taken, you know, quite a long time ago. The styling um, could have been traditional styling. The hair and makeup is relatively yeah. simple. So um, that's why uh, I sold the Even idea the gown for him. is timeless. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted, I didn't want it to feel out of date in a year. Uh, so that was part of the logic there. And so I stole uh, a page out of his playbook. I love it. I love it. I'm curious because this isn't what I shoot, right? On a shot like this, permits are obviously required. Yes. How do permits normally get handled? Is it the person hiring you that gets them and you just show up? Do you have to get them? It depends on the size of the budget. Uh, usually it's me that I have to get them. And then if there's a producer, the producer gets it. Um, but this was actually a rooftop of a studio we rented. So we had permission to use that space. Um, permits vary, uh, to shoot on the street of New York. It's somewhere, as long as you're not having to block things off, it's somewhere like five, 10, five, 10 minutes, uh, sorry, 500 to a thousand dollars, uh, for a, a permit it could be as little as 300. Um, if you want a proper permit, but, uh, one of the things, just fun fact that I, found out and then learned and then unlearned is on the day of the shoot, originally I had planned, well, you'll hear why, originally I had planned to include the Empire State Building in the shot. Uh, and so looking oh. the other way, there was the Empire State Building. And so- Trademark. Um, right. So I had planned it and then I found out in the production, oh, it's trademarked, you can't use it, especially in an ad. And so I said, okay, well, we'll just use the other scene. Um, after the shoot's all said and done, I find out Canon- has a an agreement with the Empire State Building that they can use it in their ads after oh. all that. And I just, I don't know why I didn't even think to ask them, but why would you think like, oh yes, you have an agreement with, because when I asked, I actually wrote the Empire State Building, like there's an office and I wrote them to ask how much it would cost for this type of job. And they said 20 grand to license it, to have it in the background of this ad. And I said it was for Canon and I told them what it was for. And no one happened to mention, oh yeah, we already have a standing agreement. So it would be free. <laughs> like right. what? It was killer. So, but it's the, the pictures are still fine. <laughs> Great lesson for people though. So I had a similar thing happen at the Hollywood Bowl. <clears throat> the building is trademarked. Hmm. And so they have, when you shoot a concert at the Hollywood Bowl, they have their own photo release. So the artist in this particular show, it was Journey, has a photo release. Mm. Hollywood Bowl yes. has a photo release. Uh -huh. Journey's a PR person came to me and said, you know, Neil's decided to give a guitar away at the end of the show. Would you take a picture? I said, sure, I'll take a picture. I'll email it to you. And without thinking, Hollywood Bowl person was standing there and came over and said, no, 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 you signed a release. I said, yeah, but I mean, it's Journey's show. No, no, no. If you want to do a union buyout, you can do it. <sighs> Crap. How much is a union buyout? Five thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. Well, totally. never mind. Wow. <laughs> we'll we'll forgo that shot. Um, what is your general 
post routine to finish up. When, uh, when you when you get yeah. these back, do you edit your own? Do you have an editor? Do you do you call them yourself? What's your standard process in in the helicopter view? So uh, standard what I do is I do a, a first pass through, and I pick about ten percent of the images. Usually it runs about 10% of the images that were relatively successful. And that's what I present to the client or my team or however it works. Uh, and then from there, you pick the winners. Uh, and those are the only ones that actually get uh, retouched. Typically, like in these images, I retouch them. But typically what you're doing is you're outsourcing or I'm outsourcing um, things like skin um, or if there's any sort of fancy compositing that has to be to done. To a high-end retoucher like a Kelly Robitaille or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's that's included in the budget for these sorts of things. It's not that I can't retouch. It's that, you know, there's only so many things you could do. Remember, outsource to, to people that are creative collaborators and retouchers can be that. Right. But uh, anything that has to do with color grading, notice that the sky has a blue color to it. Well, I added that in the warmth to the skin. Like all of that in the color grade, that's all in my control because that's part of my creative vision rather than fixing pimples, blah, blah, blah. So this image I did, but uh, I'm usually working with uh, other people to retouch. So, okay. Interesting. You added the color to the sky and the skin. Mm -hmm. I like that. How many, how many images from a normal, this one you had, you know, 20 minutes to shoot. Mm -hmm. How many images will you normally turn in? It depends on how much money somebody wants to pay me. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. Um, I like that. Well, it's no, it's totally true though. Uh, I think, you know, for a magazine editorial, it's low end six, high end 20 that they'll, they'll ask for final. Um, for a commercial client, um, sometimes like I've done shoots where all we needed was two shots for the day. That's it. The whole day, just two winning shots. And that's what they chose. Other days I've turned in 30 because it was more of a social content. Right. So we were turning it out. So uh, it really varies. There's no no set answer for that. Okay. So last question. Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to get, because again, I, I started this whole conversation with the fact that the work that you do is exceptionally creative, right? Mm-hmm. And don't misunderstand me, other photographers out there. There's exceptionally creative photographers all over the place in a number of different ways. But there's something about the way that you see and think that translates to just extremely unique portraiture and photography for an average, not meant in an insulting way, but for an average photographer out there, a beginning pro, a hobbyist, somebody who's actually getting jobs, but just wants to elevate, you know, to the next level. What can somebody do to see things? Because I still believe deep down our voices are how we see the world. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason we all have a different voice. How can how can people see things more artistically? Okay, two quick tips. Uh, tip number one is stop looking at the same stuff that everyone else is looking at. We photographers tend to look at all the same photographers, the same educators, the same people that are, you know, that we worship. And then we're copies of copies of copies and it just degrades and then it all looks the same. And it's like the people that excite me are looking outside of photography. They're looking to painters and illustrators, and it could be from the past. It could be current. Um, so I think that's the first, first and foremost, uh, stop looking at the same people. Uh, and then the other part of it is don't be afraid to take bad photos. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I'm trying a technique that it just ends up terrible. 
uh, and that's fine. I don't have to show it to anyone. You don't feel like you have to display every image that you take and that every image needs to be successful. Give yourself the room to make mistakes and to learn. Mistakes aren't failure. Mistakes are the path of getting better. I mean, that's really what it is. You mentioned people who, you know, inspire you. You know, watch people that are different. Don't look at the same people all the time. And I love that idea, which brings in a, a new question. And that is, you know, who, and and I'll preface this by saying, your boyfriend inspires you. That's clear because <laughs> you grab the lights. That's true. So somebody else that's mm -hmm. out there that people may not know, who inspires you? Eugenio Requenco. <laughs> it's a hard one. Um, okay. He's a Spanish photographer and his work You don't is, know how that's spelled, do you? I do, um, but I'll just make sure I'm not messing this up. It's You know what? If you just email it to me later, I'll yeah. put it in the show notes. But I'll say it's uh, E-U-G-E-N-I-O, and then the last name is R-E-C-U-E-N-C-O, and I will send it to you. Um, but his okay. he, he builds extravagant sets within an incredible mix of homage to other art as well as a cinematic feel. It's the lighting is cinematic, the expressions, the costumes. But then if you know and love art, you'll see nods to many other artists at, or cinema or it's just, it's just delightful to dive into his artwork. Uh, and I also like it because uh, I have seen him get, go from good photographer to just mind blowing uh, in the last 10 years. It's just, he's incredible. Isn't that fun to watch? Watch the growth of people. It's actually even fun, in my opinion, to go look at your own growth. Go back right now while you're stuck at home, people. Go back into your catalog. Look at the shots that you four-starred. That you those were that's portfolio, and realize where you are now. It's an amazing thing to see your own growth. Um, totally, and appreciate Lindsay, it. <laughs> I can't say thank you enough. It's my pleasure. I had a very fun time chatting with you and you do a good job making me feel important. <laughs> so thank you. Well, and well, and you are, but that's really not my goal. You are an artist. You, you are somebody that, that I'm not the only one that admires your work and there's good reason for that. You are, you are a star in, in what you do and to get you on this show finally is just so amazing. And again, I'm not even going to mention the names, but now I'm going to pursue two people that you suggested that I get because I'm dying to get them on too. So let me know <laughs> throughout the show, your lower thirds have been popping up where people can find you, but let's just give it out here really quick. What's your website? Uh, lindsayalderphotography.com. And there's also learn with Lindsay. What's learn with Lin Lindsay? Learn, learn with Lindsay is my educational platform. So if you would like to see my tutorials, whether it's on lighting or posing or post-processing, you name it, that's the place to uh, explore. And of course, hence the name to learn. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Instagram, Lindsay Lind Adler underscore photo. Yep. And that's where you'll see my most uh, current work. And I post all the time. Yeah. You post very regularly. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's a fun part to pop up in the feed. You're on Twitter, Lindsay Adler, Facebook, Lindsay Adler Photography. So mm -hmm. thank you again very, very much. Thank you. And to everybody, uh, just a reminder, I've written a little blog post about this episode. The show notes, as it were, it's at BehindTheShot.tv. I've got a small gallery there as well of Lindsay's work and all the links, and she'll get me the link to the photographer that she recommended. 
I'll put those in the show notes as well. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast in either audio or video in your podcast app, or I should say, and or the video is also up on the YouTube channel. Some of the show notes are there as well, mostly just links, including a link to the blog post that you can find it there. But behindtheshot.tv is your best place to go find out how you can sub, uh, subscribe to the show. I also want to remind you about the critique shows I'm doing with my buddy Don Komarechka. We just did uh, one the week before we're recording this. So make sure that you go check out the Behind the Shot YouTube channel for those. If you want to participate, we have a Behind the Shot Flickr group. And all you got to do is join Flickr. It can be the free account. Head on over, join the, the Behind the Shot Flickr group, and then submit your images. I don't critique any images in the group. You have to tag it. I don't want to grab somebody's shot and critique it if it's not something that you want. You just want to participate in the fun. So tag it BTS critique with a Flickr tag. Don and I pick from those once a month right now. We've been doing uh, critique shows. We're hoping to have some guests on soon, so that should be fun as well. So to everybody, as always, thank you for watching. To my guest this time around, can't say it enough. Thank you to Lindsay Adler. Make sure that you follow her online. This is Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between. We'll see you on the next show. Thank you.